Welcome to Recogs, the show where we learn how the world's best business operators build consumer brands from sourcing to selling, brought to you by Manufactured. This is a replay of a live webinar we did on February 8th, 2024. We chatted with Anthony Rosen from Propeller Industries, who has advised over a thousand brands as they've scaled, and Samit Shah from VHS Ventures, who has also advised and invested in brands over the past decade. Without further ado, I'm going to take you to the webinar. Um, hey, everyone. Thanks so much for attending this webinar. Anthony and Samit, it's so great having you both here and really excited to dive into this topic. Um, how Funding your brand's ascent, equity, and debt strategies for sustainable growth. Really trying to dissect when does it make sense to use debt? When does it make sense to use equity as you're growing your brand? Um, I'm your MC, Mike Gelb. I'm the community manager here at Manufactured. Before we get started, um, I'll tell you a little bit about Manufactured really quick. I'll, I promise we'll be brief. Manufactured helps brands with inventory financing and lowering COGS. Um, a couple of use cases of why brands partner with us if they're looking for inventory financing or PO financing, or if they're looking for ways to to um, uh, to grow uh, their gross margins uh, by either counter, uh, counter sourcing. We have a manufacturing network of over 700 uh, vetted vendors um, or or to see if we can help on, on the logistics side of things as well. Um, thrilled, as I said before, thrilled to be joined here by um, Anthony Rosen, who's a CFO at Propeller Industries. Um, we'll find out more about Propeller Industries and Samit Shah, who is a managing partner at VHS Ventures. Gentlemen, what, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having uh, having us today. Yeah, no, thank you thank, so much. Um, so, Anthony, tell us a little bit about um, about Propeller Industries and and your work. Sure. Um, so, Propeller is a fractional CFO firm. We've been around um, one of the first um, to do this. We've been around about fifteen years. Worked with over a thousand uh, companies in that time frame, primarily venture stage, seed, Series A, Series B companies. Uh, we are segregated into verticals and I lead the consumer practice area. Uh, we do everything from bookkeeping to FP&A, budgeting, cash flow support, and uh, strategic CFO support. So I've worked with probably 50 or so consumer brands over the last five years. Um, and obviously debt versus equity and when and how much is, is, a, is a big discussion in, in all of these cases. So uh, looking forward to the chat today. Cool. And some of the brands, of course, that you all work with, Olipop, Liquid Death, um, uh, Crave, Zico, uh, Farmer's Dog. So um, just incredible, like really like iconic um, uh, consumer brands that you all work with on on kind of all all different stages. So really, really looking forward to hearing your, your perspective. Um, Samit, tell us a little bit about yourself v uh, and uh, VHS Ventures. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Um, hey, everybody. My name is uh, Sumit Shah. I'm the founder and managing partner of VHS Ventures. We launched last summer and we're a pre-seed, uh, a seed and some pre-seed uh, focused, stage focused uh, consumer venture capital firm. Uh, prior to VHS, uh, 15 years of early stage and later stage consumer investing and operating experience, working with private equity backed brands for the first five years of my career. And then venture and startups for the last decade, uh, helping to start two early stage consumer firms, Brand Foundry in 2014 and SwiftArk in 2019. Um, also had a small stint at ClearCo, working with their partnerships arm, where Mike and I also worked together for a hot second. Um, but it's a pleasure to be here. 
It was a dream working with you, Sameet. I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had an absolute blast. Um, uh, so uh, really, really great times. And um, why why I'm really excited and why I, I kind of asked um, uh, Anthony and Sameet to, um, uh, for their time for this webinar is I think that, that what's really unique is obviously Anthony is kind of involved in the day-to-day -day with a lot of consumer brands. Um, and I'm sure on the finance and strategic side. So um, I'm sure he has a lot of kind of thoughts um, um, around around that. And then Samit, on the other hand, like he is um, involved, um, of, of course, as an investor, um, investing in these um, incredible brands of today and tomorrow. And so he's also kind of figuring out what actually makes sense, for example, um, for obviously making decisions in terms of um, from, from the investing uh, side, but also um, also what it, whether it makes sense for the brand and kind of advising brands if it makes sense for them to actually raise equity, period. Um, which I think in today's market is like a very, very kind of useful um, uh, useful question that a lot of brands, I'm sure, are, are asking themselves. Um, well, speaking of like today's market, wanted to kind of start there. Like, um, and this kind of current um, macro um, market and how how does that play a factor to like this kind of overarching question um, um, in this, um, in this webinar about equity and debt. Um, this has of course been a really, when the markets are good, it seems like it's a great time for debt and equity, meaning, you know, um, it seems like fundraisers rounds are, are usually pretty large and you're seeing like, you know, um, incredible. Um, I also have like a newsletter and, um, where I just kind of, uh, cover a lot of like the fundraising and, and like, it seems like, you know, um, especially in consumer, of course, we went through like a wave of, you know, huge valuations, um, uh, huge rounds. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, that, that has changed. And, and of course on the debt market side with, with, with interest rates being super low, um, uh, during that period, um, of course, the debt market, it was also like a great time for debt for, for actual racing debt. Uh, but of course the, the times have kind of flipped now, um, where it's, it seems like challenge on both sides of things. It's really hard to, um, to raise an equity round. Um, um, if you're a consumer brand, not that it was easy per se when it, when, when times were kind of quote unquote great. Um, but it is a lot more challenging, um, in this, in, in this current environment. And of course, in the debt on that side of things, that's also a lot more expensive. Um, so how, um, how are you thinking about today's market just from the macro landscape in terms of whether kind of debt or equity makes sense for a brand when it comes to growth? Maybe Anthony, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's, I've been in the space for about 10 years now and seeing the roller coaster uh, highs and lows and, and COVID and post COVID. And, um, you know, the last couple of years or last sort of 12 months in particular has been very tough, I think, both on the equity and the debt side in, in the consumer space. Um, you know, the, on, on the equity side, obviously, valuations um, are tighter and, and, and investors are, are looking more closely. And on the debt side, you know, for the time last year, it was just completely closed from my experience. Like even companies that were growing and were profitable firms out there, you know, debt providers that were giving, you know, throwing money away, were just not lending to anyone, you know, regardless. So the whole industry was rushed out. I think that's that's changed a bit and it's opened up, but I just think they're much more um, diligent. You know, they're, they're much more focused on unit economics and profitability. I know, I know we're going to talk about that later, but as, as opposed to just revenue growth. And I think from like a high level strategy standpoint, it just means you probably are going to have to go to more people. Um, they're still out there. There's still a lot of different debt providers out there and different types of debt, which we can talk about. Um, but you're probably going to have to cast the net wider. Um, and you're going to have to really know your business, have a really good financial model and understand sort of how much money you need and when you need it and how long it's going to last you. Um, and I think 
you know, those are things you just have to, you have to be really, really buttoned up before you go out there, um, you know, and raise. And I think the other thing from a timing perspective is, you know, don't wait until you're just about out of money. Right? Again, this is whether it's equity or debt, right? Like the worst time, sort of that bit of a chicken and egg, like the best time to go out and raise on the debt side, at least is when you don't necessarily need it. And, and right after an equity round, whereas, you know, if you wait until the very end and you have two months of runway, you, you know, it's not going to be an option. No, that's a great, I mean, those are, th those are great points. I think that, you know, um, I think to one of our, one of your points I said earlier on the death side of things too, that, um, uh, that we've seen in the past, you know, few years is that there's become so many, you know, kind of options, especially for like early stage companies to actually go out and do debt. It was typically, it was only reserved really until you had maybe some type of like product market fit or like real demand for your, uh, for your product where you can actually go and actually even raise debt, which is why, you know, equity cat, like, um, equ raising equity rounds, um, you almost kind of had to do it. Um, at the earlier stage, uh, but now there's so much kind of options on, on on the debt side of things. Um, some of them have kind of dried up, but uh, but it is a, a still quite interesting. How about how, what are you saying just in this kind of like current state of the market, Samit, uh, from your peers on the equity side and, and consumer? I know as well, like you know, consumer isn't nearly as um, um as popular maybe as it once was. Although I'll, I'll be honest with you, I feel like every year, like the sentiment around consumer is like it's not popular. Um, I feel like that just never never changes. I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to a year where they actually say, Hey, consumers in. Um, <laughs> but what are you, what, what are you kind of seeing in terms of like, um, like, like the current market dynamics? Um, and I just want to throw this out there too. We want to make this as helpful as possible. So if you do have any questions, please don't be afraid to, uh, to ask them, but submit it over to you. So it's funny about consumer because it, in the venture <laughs> ecosystem, for some reason, and I still don't understand this, it feels sometimes like it's the redheaded stepchild <laughs> the ecosystem. And look, I get that the venture world really started with like software and tech, tech and software as a service, investment SaaS companies on there, and all this idea of like innovation and whatnot. And for them, consumer is something that they easily scoff at because it's just not within their space. And it's been really interesting when you go to a bigger perspective of looking at this, the, or the evolution of consumer in the investor front over the last decade, even from here, right? Out of the ashes of the global financial crisis, you had the direct consumer boom, the Warbies, the Birchboxes, the Harrys, the Pelotons, Uber, Lyft, Oscar, Casper, Dollar Shave Club, you know, Bonobos, et cetera, all launching, raising the first ones of capital. And out of those ashes, you also had new consumer specific investment firms, you know, within product also from there. And it was a really exciting time because we had foundational growth. You had asset-heavy organizations that were focusing on careful builds um, over time. And then like with any investment trend, unsophisticated investors in the space um, would be coming into this where, again, these aforementioned software SaaS investors, you know, have an asset light thesis that they think they can apply into an asset-heavy industry. It's a square peg round hole. You end up with a lot of lifestyle brands being built out in the late 2010s. And as a result, had like companies that are basically raising way too much money, overvalued valuations, marketing driven. But it was a lot of like these unsophisticated investors that were clouding the the, the minds of a lot of these founders, these great consumer founders. Um, and as a result, it just was it was frustrating to watch at, at though. And when you then had the wall of COVID happening, and a lot of these original consumer investors that have much much larger funds because they've been very successful in their early investments. And now they have to go beyond consumer and invest in other spaces, you know, consumer infrastructure, consumer tech, even other like aligned places like healthcare. Um, and a lot of those other unsophisticated investors have moved on to like AI, I guess, at this point. You know, we're in this reset right now because we allowed 
investors who, again, really didn't understand and like love to talk shit about consumer come in the doors, the fox in the head house perspective to it. And it's really frustrating that I've seen that happen. Um, and especially because a lot of like the best consumer investors in the later stage side, the growth equity and private equity consumer shops out there um, sat on the sidelines for the last five years because they're just waiting and like finding other sources of deal flow from there. So you're starting to see, and I'm a eternal but cautious optimist, you're starting to see the change coming through within the space in that a couple of reasons that um, people are now focusing on foundational businesses and growth again, you know, pathway to profitability. Yes, of course, but also just like sizable unit economics, like just the right mindset of building good, strong, sustainable businesses. Um, you're starting to see a new guard of consumer investors from there. My friends at CPGD um, put together a great deck, actually, uh, that I'm going to try to find. Um, let's see. Uh, here it is. Uh, I'm going to put this in the chat that I think is only going to go to the host and panelists, but I think you should definitely share it, um, Mike, if you're able to. Um, mm -hmm. But they put a really good guide to CPG investing that's going on from last year. And they put a really good breakdown of logos of companies that uh, we know um, on that end. And so what's been really exciting about that is you're starting to see, again, this new guard of firms that are just like seeds, pre-seeds, sub-series A focus on there, 250, 500K checks that are coming in from that end, ones that really maybe have not been as well known. Um, but what's been really exciting where it's like, again, focus back into foundational growth, new guards that are existing from here. You're starting to see, uh, there was an article in the information that came through uh, where they interviewed, Kate McCarthy interviewed Ben Lehrer of Lehrer, of Lehrer Hippo, and what he has been like having difficulty finding the right levels of consumer because like he has to think twice about every company, which is a really good thing. But then also from the responses of all people that are like, we do consumer, let's chat. There's literally free marketing for you in terms of any founder who's looking for that end. So overall, I know it's a very long answer, but I'm very optimistic in terms of where things are going through. And also like, this is a big opportunity because a lot of interest rate issues came through, a lot of debt providers, alternative financing providers kind of went under over the past couple of years. It's a big opportunity if you're a debt provider and you're able to provide real value beyond capital with your assets, admittedly like a manufacturer, like a propeller, et cetera. Like if you're able to provide that additional value from here, and I think I'd love to elaborate more later in this, in this webinar, um, it's so important now, regardless if it's equity or debt to really push forward, especially if we're going to continue towards this like next wave of consumer that's actually focusing on good companies from there. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, um, I mean, a, a number of great, uh, of, uh, great points there. I think that, you know, there's obviously been like a shift towards, um, you know, building, um, uh, which we're, we're going to get into like, um, um, sound unit economic sustainable businesses and really kind of assessing brands, um, in that fashion. Um, part of the reason why I think that there's, there's kind of been a shift, which maybe that should have been the, the, the priority the entire time. But but I think that like part of the reason why like we've like maybe experienced that shift is just because from like strategics, um, uh, like all like a successful exit typically in consumer t uh, tends to come from exiting to a uh, a strategic, uh, not always, but um, that tends to be um where like the successes lie. Um, and primarily thinking about like CPG. Um, but um, I think the strategics have kind of pulled back too and been like, hey, like if you're if you're not producing like positive EBITDA, um, you know, great cash flowing businesses, then like we're not interested. You know, I think they've gone to the days of like the billion dollar you know do dollar shave clubs of the world that um, that that Unilever will 
um, kind of pull or something like that, you know, and even, you know, some of the big ones, like, I think like Coke has been, for example, like pretty quiet um, when it comes to like M&A and that sort of thing. So um, a lot of the big strategic kind of pulling back. And so I think that you have to build, I think that the bar used to be like, let's build like a hundred million dollar business. And that is a great, um, incredible bar to like look for. But I think that, that then the, uh, I think that the, que the question now is, okay, how did you get there? Like, how, like, is it actually, are you actually producing like property, uh, uh, positive, um, EBITDA? Is there, is there like, are your margins like pretty good or is it, or is it, you know, um, or is a lot of it just like pumping out through like marketing, let's say for example. Um, uh, so I think that there's a lot, a lot more kind of questions like they're, they're kind of deeper into the financial statement, um, um, into, into it. Um, and that's what I've kind of like seen from the sidelines. Um, I'd love to that. Well, with, with all that being said, like, I think that's, that's kind of a great kind of roundup, um, from you both on like the kind of macro side of things and like where we're at and why as well, you know, building like sustainable businesses has become so much more of a priority or like kind of a must have, um, when it comes to how investors are, are analyzing it. And when it comes to, you know, um, uh, when it comes to, you know, how, how companies, uh, how strategics, how, um, how companies just in general should be thinking about growth, thinking about it in, in, in more of a sustainable way, as well as with, with obviously with like the, the macro market functions. Um, I'd like to focus for the next like few minutes on, on debt, if, if, if that's right with you both, I'd love to like, think about, um, what are the way just because as well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to the equity side, but like, we'd love to like, think about, um, since, um, the equity, uh, markets not totally has dried up. Obviously, there there are the summits out there in the world. Um, uh, but how um, um, if a brand is kind of growing or thinking about debt, like when does debt actually make sense? What are the different financing options in relation to debt that are available for emerging brands? And when does it make sense in terms of like the brand kind of portfolio or the brand shape? Does it actually make sense for a brand to actually lever up and actually and actually maybe uh, pull the trigger on one of those options? Maybe Anthony, we'll start with you. I know that this could probably, by the way, in itself be like its own like three hour webinar. So I apologize. But Anthony, just like from your perspective, since you like sit in that CFO seat from so many brands, how do you think about when to use like debt, for example, or, you know, cash on hand? Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. And like I say, over the last 10 years, it's changed drastically. It used to just be you called SVB and that was it. And <laughs> and they're still around and, and they're still a good option, but there's there's so much more out there. I think you know, we'll talk about equity in a second, but in my mind, like I distinguish equity and debt. Like equity is your permanent capital. Like you, you don't have to pay it back. It doesn't accrue interest. It's really what you should be using to like fund operating losses and growth in in the business and marketing and payroll and sort of fund your growth from that standpoint and debt and different types of debt can be used for different things and they're used for more specific purposes. So in my mind, I have sort of like three or four key like categories of debt. You have the traditional SVB type venture debt. So that's term loans, for your term loans. And those really are like runway extenders in my mind. So those generally are going to come almost always right after an equity round. And that's mm -hmm. the best time to go. And that's almost the only time you'll get that. Um, you know, within a couple of months after raise. And there's some percentage, used to be a higher percentage that they would give you, but um, it's still some percentage formula that they'll give you. And that's a runway extender, um, usually very light on covenants um, and, and low interest from an SPB or HSBC or JPM or the like. Um, then you've got your your ABLs. And so your asset back line, that's 
from the likes of Dwight or Assembled Brands or, or folks like that. And that's more like working capital specific. So for my mind, inventory and accounts receivable. So these are specific businesses that are heavy on inventory and heavy on AR. Maybe you sell to Target or Walmart and you have long payment terms or you are growing your inventory heavily or you're a seasonal business. Um, and you know, these is really meant to be like a, a line or evolver that you draw in times of need when you need it, but then can sort of pay back over time as well. Like where, where companies get in trouble is when they use the, the ABL, I mean, it happens all the time um, to fund operating losses and they really become like a loan. And you're always going to use it a little bit for that. And the banks probably know that, but if you're using it like permanently as a loan, that's just sort of outstanding at $2 million and it sits there flat. And it's not really being used for its main purpose, which is for the seasonality and, and growth of, of inventory. Um, and then the last, and, then, and, that, and that, by the way, if you do that, turn it up. But but if you do that, then then essentially um, the interest that, that they're going to be accruing and paying has just become so yeah. much more expensive. It actually it actually exactly. does, doesn't make sense at all to actually use it. Exactly. And then the last, which is pretty recent, the last couple of years, is the revenue based financing. So that's the Shopify Capitals, the Wayflyers. Um, these are can very quickly become drugs. Uh, you can get very addicted to them, um, but they can be in certain circumstances, in my mind, good. They're really like, in, for me, they're bridge financing. So like a short-term bridge mm -hmm. to a convertible note raise to some sort of a seasonality thing that you're gonna get through in three months. Like it, it can be useful, but the, the the tough things about those is they generally are never gonna quote an interest rate. They're gonna say it's like a 6% fee. And you're gonna think, great, it's 6% interest, it's a third fee. But, if it's a six percent fee and you pay it back in two months, you know you actually calculate the ARR there, and it's and it's really expensive. And and I've seen it so many times. I have clients that get sort of addicted to it because it is the easiest. You literally click one button now in Wayfly and Shopify, and you get the money. And it's and it's and that's why it's a drug. Like you get addicted to it, and they take a percentage of your revenue and your sales every day. Um, and it, it, if you keep doing that over and over and over again, it becomes very 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 expensive. And generally, it's not going to get you to profitability, you, you, you probably need some sort of equity or, or, or longer stage debt. So I guess in short, in short instances and in, in, in certain instances, I, I think it's a good solution, but not uh, not long term. But for but for inventory, like since I know that we kind of like went down this a little bit on the on the inventory inventory side of things, like um like raising like an equity round, like, let's say you just got like a, you know, a, a, a huge PO, let's say from like target, you know, and you're gonna be in like, you're gonna be like hundreds of target stores, like fantastic. Like that is not really like the time to use to actually go out and try to raise like an equity and be like, Hey, like investors, look at us. We got like this, like, you know, PO from, from target. Right. No, no. I mean, investors hate that. They don't want their equity to go towards that. And, um, you, that, that's a, a totally fine use for that. And it's again, it's short term. Yeah. Uh, the best solution there, I always tell people, is to try to negotiate better payment terms with suppliers, and then you don't need debt, right? Like as you grow and you as you become more profitable, and as you have sort of longer term relationships with the suppliers, you should be able to go from, you know, fifty percent deposit to twenty five percent deposit to no deposit to thirty day term to sixty day terms over time, and then that helps party working capital. But otherwise, you know, there's there's people out there that will sort of you know PO financing factoring that will sort of get you over. You know, if you have a million dollar PO. That will help you factor that or, or buy the inventory for that. And that's that's a good short term use of that for sure. I guess going the other way though, um, you know, if you did, for example, uh, pay your suppliers up front for, you know, um uh, for you know all the inventory produced, um, couldn't you also, you know, say, hey, we're obviously paying you all up front. 
um, can we actually, what can you maybe do for us when it comes to on the, on the, on the margin side of things? Yeah. It's just a trade-off. Like you should be having yeah. it sort of like a price versus work versus timing discussion and in the perfect world. They're giving you that choice. Um, you know, so I've, I've seen and people like target do that. They'll say, we'll pay you 2% net 30 or, you know, 3% net 10 or something like that. And you it's, mm. you're doing the same thing with your supplier. You're deciding what's more important to you margin or, or cash and, and for most startups it's going to be cash like initially it's not you know you're, you're you're willing to sacrifice one or two points of margin to get work capital but then as you scale ideally you're, you're you're getting that margin back got it that makes that, that makes sense um, we, we actually have a well i'll i'll go to some meat first and then we'll um and then we'll uh we'll uh I'll, I'll ask this question from um this um anonymous attendee which is a great which is a great question um yeah so meat so, so, how are, how are you thinking about this in 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 your terms? Obviously, you're probably seeing like you know hundreds, if not thousands, of 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 brands that are kind of pitching you um, um on the equity side. Um, are are you kind of are are you also like asking you know brands in terms of like what do you actually want to use that capital for, and what actually makes sense for um what actually makes sense to you, and um if it actually if if they actually want to use if if you actually feel like it actually makes sense for them to actually use debt over equity. How do you think about this question when it comes to what actual debt options make sense for for that company? Yeah, I as absolutely part of my diligence is asking about use of funds, right? And I want to definitely look through a buy general sector of like product slash tech, hiring slash team, marketing, and you know, kind of X factors that are specific to them. But I want these companies to be specific with me in terms of it because when they're walking me through what the use of funds are looking towards. It gives me a couple of um, perspectives. One, in terms of that, like they've been actually doing the back of the envelope calculation of how much they need to raise as per, again, for a seed round, like a 12 to 18 month runway and what it actually means to be used for transparently. But also like, if there are some of the things that they are looking to raise the capital for are more for the present versus the future, that, okay, we can find the right debt provider that also then provides true value beyond capital, like an inventory financing shop, a true revenue-based financing shop, a you know, other kind of like key loan uh, item or factoring shop and whatnot um, that can help a lot with uh, investing and financing the present on that end. And that's something I do want to think about as well. I'm particularly when it comes to finding the right debt provider uh, for, you know, potential companies and for current portfolio companies as well. Um, but again, I really stress about that opportunity of like, you know, capital exists. Like, what are you actually able to do for the company itself on there. And also even kind of like tools and, and partners that you can look through on top of it. I raised that for two reasons. One, because it's an important partner for us because it has the ability to help fund for any of the day-to-day -day operational things, any things that might come up um, for the company out of nowhere. Um, and also for the purpose that venture firms are starting to pare down in terms of their teams. Um, more and more firms are also paring down on their platform teams as well, which are supposed to provide that value beyond capital on the equity side. And so if you're a debt provider, right, and you're able to help on that end, that is something that's incredibly important. Like Mike and I were specifically working on that actually during our ClearCo days back in 2022. And the idea was to provide the true resource library that work. And you're starting to see that with even other kinds of service providers that are helping founders, you know, the cap table management, back office, and um, uh, fund administration systems like Karna is the prominent one, but what the guys at 10 key labs and mantle are doing right now um disclaimer i'm helping them out on the partnership side on the side but they're an incredible organization that helps with all three systems but more importantly they're a great example we're like we're building out a whole partner network on there and more and more organizations that are also working towards it again going back to the debt side of things it's such an important tool to have 
Um, and so, yeah, like I can't stress enough to also the founders who are listening to this that be transparent about where you're looking through and raising your capital of use of funds, not just for the fact that like it is important for us on our own diligence as, as venture investors and, and equity, do equity dollars, but it also helps you establish if it's the right partner that you want to look through on a potential investor in general, equity or debt on top of it. Yeah, no, those are, go for it, Anthony. No, I was going to say like talking about the use of funds, I think it's so key to have a good financial model and forecast to understand what the next 12 to 24 months look like. And if you're really, really a startup, of course, it's going to be uncertain and, and, and there's a bit of guesswork there, but you can't really answer the question of like, should you be raising equity or debt and how much equity or debt, unless you have some idea of how much you're going to need. And, and like somebody said, like what it's going to be used, what's going to be used for what? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great, um, that, that's a really good point. I mean, understanding like in terms of the breakdown, in terms of um, your own expenses, inventory, marketing, um, is it hiring? Um, mm -hmm. You know, are you are you going into a retailer, you know, nationwide to actually need you, you actually need like a sales team or you need actual people? Like maybe on um, maybe for hiring, might make more sense on the equity side to actually to actually raise for that instead of you know on on that side of things. But on the inventory side of it, like uh, as a line item, maybe all that inventory makes makes much more sense for um uh for 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 debt um and like and 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 the various uh, different options for it so it's really kind of understanding um on at each each line item for your business what actually um what actually kind of makes sense um whether it's equity or or debt um we have we have this question which i think is a really good one um uh for a startup company when is the right time to pursue debt options um what is the right threshold and should risk profile weigh into the equation or should it oh to me answered it um one second um or should it be left to the lender's discretion and diligence anthony we'll start with you on this um i mean when it, it depends on what your your model and forecast is saying i mean generally i'd say earlier rather than later like you want to raise the debt or equity like again debt following an equity round when you have more cash on the in the bank is when it's going to be easier to raise both of those and generally what I tell people is raise more rather than less because it's always going to be more, you're generally going to burn more than you think you're going to burn. Um, and it's you know, going to want to extend that runway as, as long as you can. I think on the risk profile, that's a good one. I think it, it's very founder specific. There's definitely some debt options out there that require personal guarantees or that kind of thing. You know, a lot of them don't. And most, most of my clients don't want that. Um, and, but Sometimes you can't avoid it, and some founders are willing to to take that risk. Um, and then you know that that's going to be a personal decision for them um, whether they're willing to willing to do that. Um, and then on the risk side, for the company as a whole, it's really about um, we'll probably talk about this in a, in a few minutes. But the terms is really like looking at the covenants, right? Like if this is like a covenant light or no covenant, then and and you know the amortization or payback period is over a really long time, then it's then it's less risk. But if there's EBITDA covenants in there that you have, um, you know, a chance of tripping in three months, and then in theory they could, you know, default and call the debt and literally shut down your company. Um, that's a that's a huge risk. So I think that depending on the profile, now the Shopify capitalists of the world, that's not, you know, they don't have those, right? But I think that certain types of debt that have these these covenants or other things in there that you know create a lot more risk. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's also being in line or really kind of understanding as well on the same page with with whatever debt provider you go to in terms of what your expectations are or, or where you want your business to be. Um, like I remember, and I know I, I told you this story, I was at a lunch, you know, last month and um, one equity investor was telling me how, um, uh, was how one company, um, uh, they, um, as I think part of, um, part of the deal with the debt provider was they wanted to grow at a certain rate every month, um, a per growth rate. And that company had to pull back growth in order to kind of optimize for, for profitability and, and to get profitable, which so many companies, by the way, are doing that right now or, or, or having to do that. And they did, and they were actually successful at, at getting profitable, but they tripped over that, that, that um that covenant and event and actually that that debt provider actually called them on on, on their debt and the, and the company went went bankrupt um even though they kind of had to do that in order to actually sustain um business so it's a little bit kind of contradictory there uh so um so really being kind of like in two in in like a uh, step on step with um in step with um whoever you're partnered with that's that goes the same with also equity too right understanding when you're actually raising capital what their expectations are as well in terms of what 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 the hope is in terms of like your your growth rate um it's obviously like it's might not you be able to to meet the, those expectations but having kind of conversations too when you're actually are going to make a change or are going to make a pivot to really understand um uh to really understand obviously where where they would be if you actually uh, went down that rabbit hole um and um terrence we will get to your question um 1000 um in uh in a moment um on the on the debt side of things, what are some? I mean, I know we we talked about covenants, and maybe we maybe we already talked about this, but what um what are maybe debt terms that companies should um watch out for um or or maybe Anthony, as you like see you know a lot of companies in your day to day, like what are maybe some debt terms you're like ooh like that's that's kind of odd or I'm actually not going to like I'm not going to go with that because that's just um that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, other than the covenants, it's all the. Yeah myriad of fees that they like to throw in. So, <laughs> you know, the closing fee, the facility fee, the unused facility fee, the prepayment fee, um, you know, all those different fees. Um, warrants, obviously a lot of them put in warrants. Um, uh, the it's, it's a trade-off. The way these lenders think about it is they, they are looking at it all in. They're looking at the fees that they're going to make. They're looking at the warrants. And, you know, as you negotiate with them, I think you should keep that in mind and you should depend on what's more important to you. If you're willing to give away more warrants, they may be willing to do a slightly lower interest rate or a slightly lower mm -hmm. fee. Or if you want to, if you're really like you're bored or whatever, you don't want to give away warrants, you're probably going to have to give up a little bit more um, on uh, on the fee side. So, and then the last thing I'd say is for the, for the ABLs in particular, it's really looking at the borrowing base. So meaning like what percentage of inventory and AR are they going to lend against? Um, mm -hmm. You know, this could be anywhere from 50, 60, 70, 80%, but that makes a huge difference. It's, if they're only going to give you 50% of your inventory, you have to keep that in mind. And, and you know, there may be another lender out there that's going to give you 70% of your value of inventory. And that makes a pretty big, um, pretty big difference. So um, just looking at that, that term, I think is. Also key. Yeah, no, those are, those are great points. Um, so do, do you have anything to add? No, I, uh, Anthony, you kind of nailed it right on the head. Honestly, nothing to add on there. That's that's perfectly said. Um, um, cool. Um, how? Um, well, I think we already covered it. Um, what a when a let's say a company. Well, just in case we didn't. Um, let's say a company has cash. Like they actually have you know quite a bit of cash on hand. Um, 
does it actually does it actually make sense um in um in, in both your in, in in both your um views to actually um use that cash and kind of put that cash to work or actually um um and maybe you know use that cash for, for inventory versus actually using um use it for debt I want to hear what Sami says before I. I'm yeah. I jumped off mute immediately from here. So it's funny you ask that. <laughs> uh, part of our diligence that we do at VHS Ventures um, is to do a liquidity, uh, a liquidity ratio analysis, but basically also using on stress testing purposes. So basically, what I mean by that is, and we're recording this, so I'm actually literally gonna. I'm not gonna share my screen, but I'm pulling up my financial analysis master. Um, in terms of when I look at companies. So I'm going to look at historical and potential uh, revenue targets and everything on the P&L. So gross net, COGS, you know, gross profit, operating expenses, income, et cetera, on everything. And an employee comp is a percentage of the total operating uh, 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 operating profit on top of there as well. Um, and uh or sorry gross profit specifically on there so i'll look at a lot of that within the pnl from there and i want to actually understand where the sources of funding are and the sources of revenue and everything are kind of broken down from there so i can also track that out but when i think about it it's my financial stability analysis the stress testing um looking through balance sheet uh current assets and current liabilities primarily um onto there uh you know understanding again ap short-term loans credit card debt understanding long-term loans and interest expenses too but like Really, you know, your typical current assets, cash, AR, inventory, et cetera. Um, because I want to do a lot of pieces, looking at the amount of working capital is left, looking at the actual company's monthly burn, looking at the company's runway in general, what it has by the cash itself, but also looking at current ratio, quick ratio, cash ratio, debt ratio, you know, and interest coverage ratio on top of it. Those are the five key ratios that I personally look through as well. And, you know, you could easily look up the breakdowns of like what those ratio targets should be from there. And that will also determine for me in terms of like in regards to how much company has in terms of free cash between how much it is also having an inventory and AP, like how much is locked up into it. Um, it also show me just like how mindful they are in terms of managing any of sort of that liquidity uh, from there. I also look at cash conversion cycles, you know, day sales outstanding, days inventory mm -hmm. uh, outstanding, days payables outstanding, and the operating and cash conversion cycles. Because I really want to understand from a general level, right, like how quickly are you actually changing your inventory into real cash. revenue on there as well? So to answer your question as a short level, Mike, like I am very nitpicky to understand like how you're actually being as efficient as a company. And that will also determine, like, look, that's not going to be an ultimately judging factor for me as a, on, on a success of a metrics there, but it really helps break a lot of systems where there's, like, you break through a lot of the talk that you'll get through some founders, and it's fine if you feel like you're you're talking a big game from it. You just really got to back it up with the actual data from there, too. I had a conversation with an investor who I'm looking for, for a beauty brand, and she was like, you know, it's so funny. You're the first investor out of even the current cap table who's been, who's asked for a balance sheet. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, who on earth did, like, are you dealing with right now on there? <laughs> another story for another time. So so the founders listening to this and those will be listening to on the recording and like, please don't, don't fuck with us on that end. It's like, we don't want to have to go to that point where then everybody loses 
Like, just be mindful about that. Historical projected financials on, on PNL, balance sheet, cash flow, and also any other useful data in terms of sources, revenue, and breakdowns from there. Like, you're an asset heavy business. Just treat it like that. Yeah, I think, I think to, you know, that your question about what to use the cash for is one that I have with a lot of clients. I mean, in some respects, it's a good problem to have, obviously, a first of all problem. Like, you have plenty of cash. What do you use it for? And, you know, most of my businesses have very little AR because their primary channel is just consumer. So we're really just talking about inventory. Like if you are a business that is high AR in your premise and, and high inventory, that's a separate thing. And you're probably going to need some sort of an asset, you know, an ABL to grow. But businesses that don't really have AR and are just in with inventory, if you've raised an equity round and a decent enough seed or series A and you're sitting on, uh, you know, enough cash in the bank. And again, goes to another point of you have a financial model and the model says, you have runway through the next 12 months, there's really no need, like why would you go out and get debt to finance your inventory to pay back 60 days later and just pay interest for no reason to have a slightly higher cash balance, right? If, you, if, if your cash is already high enough, um, and again, that's a broad generalization, but like it, and it depends on how much your cash is and what that runway is. But in a situation where you truly have the runway, I personally don't think it makes sense to go get debt and just like to have a slightly higher cash balance. Now, if that runway gets is slightly shorter and your buffer is slightly less um, and you think there's a chance that, you know, you may burn more, that's when it goes back to my point I said earlier that like the time to get debt is, 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 is when you have more cash in the balance sheet. It doesn't mean you need to draw it down. Like, especially the venture debt, like generally venture debt, you, you sign a, a, a term sheet and then you have six or 12 months to draw it down. So right, right, yeah. you, exactly. So you don't want to draw it straight away because you're just going to be paying interest on it, but you may draw it in, in a year. You may be like, okay, actually I've burnt more than I've expected. And I've seen this before with clients and where I tell them, go get venture debt. If you raise a, a good series A or series B, go to SUV, go somewhere, go to JP Morgan, get it. It's very low. It'll be low cost. It'll be easy. You'll get it. To actually sign a term sheet in docs will cost you I don't know, 10 grand or something in like legal fees and whatnot. And maybe you never use it and it's just a safety net and it's cost you almost nothing and, and it's worthwhile. But I've had cases and clients where they have used it because they've ended up burning more than they thought and they needed to draw it down. And, and so better to have that safety net. I thought for, for, for venture debt though, I thought that you... Um, you needed to to draw it within like six to 12 months, period. Yeah, well, I'm um, saying 12 months. So, but like, don't draw it straight. You sign, you get a term sheet, you get a facility in place, and then you draw it in on, in month 12. Down, okay, it, got it, got you it. You draw it okay. down. So you're not paying interest for 12 months. So if you're sitting you're on- You're using the months, cash and then you're, okay, got it. Yes, like, yeah, but yeah. you've already, but you've signed the debt and, and you have it available, you know, when your cash is stronger rather than waiting 12 months to go out and get it because- you're not going to get as good a debt because again, the, this is this is really talking about venture debt in particular. Like it, it, it really needs to come like right after. Yeah, I mean, I I see your point when it comes to you know like D 2 C or like e commerce businesses where like you probably don't need to hire that many people, right? Um, in order to actually run these businesses, you um in terms of where you're actually spending money on, um, probably you're going to obviously have like marketing costs. So of course you could use the cash for for marketing. Um, I think um and as well you know obviously you you could use that cash for inventory. I think that for for retail businesses that have kind of cash on that, that kind of cash on hand, like because you kind of need um to kind of hire teams where when you actually do um expand um whether that's um uh whether that's to do um whether that's to do like samples for example in store and like manage also like those like relationships with those retailers like 
you can spend the cash for uh, for kind of making those kind of key hires and 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 kind of as you expand, and so then then you can use debt um, uh, to actually uh, fund the inventory. But of course, like e-commerce, like you don't need to actually hire like like too many people. So that's a, that's kind of like the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's get to let's get to to uh, Terrence's question because I know that we're actually almost out of time. This is really zipped by super fast. Um, for Samit, what are the key KPIs you look for in early stage consumer brands, as well as key revenue benchmarks a brand should hit before pursuing a one million dollar round? So, the bigger question about because you're very specific about the amount that you're looking to raise, I think it's also just really justifying like why raise a million dollars. I mean, it, was, it would probably would be the assumption that you're raising. I would change the the mindset to your first institutional round. Your so your first equity round that's institutional driven, um, because I would say five hundred k or less, or even like really three four hundred k or less, should be also across your friends, family, followers. You know, some of your angel rounds on there as well. Um, and so I'm going to change the one million dollar round to your first institutional round in terms of the language on there. Um, for us, we will start looking at companies that are basically doing with somewhere between 50 to K, 50 K to hundred K MRR, which then, or I should really say actually not MRR, but like month, truly monthly revenue, um, that really translates to a potential half million to million dollars ARR. Because for us, the revenue multiple that we look through on our valuations is around three to three and a half times, which is pretty healthy in general from there. Um, so what that means is if you're doing a million dollars in top line revenue, you know, we expect your post-money valuation to be somewhere between three to three and a half million when we're going to be looking to invest on that end. You can do the numbers in terms of the equity decks and whatever that you end up raising from there. But that's the first kind of benchmark that we look through on revenue benchmarks that we get comfortable with on seed. Pre-seed is a different story. It's a very selective process for us in terms of the more founder-driven opportunity, especially if we're looking at companies that are pre-launch and pre-revenue. Um, for key KPIs, I already mentioned that, you know, three or three and a half times revenue multiple that we can feel comfortable with in terms of growth. Um, but also ultimately, like we want to take this company to a point where um, we are within our three to five years of our first check, the company can hit 10 to 25 million in top line revenue. You know, profitability is obviously paramount on that end, but our maximum net loss that we feel comfortable with is about 10%. Um, so net income negative uh, or net loss on that end. Um and the reason I say that is because, and also to the point that you're mentioning, Anthony, um, when you're able to get to that time frame, that revenue growth, and provided your cap table is relatively clean, your valuations are also in a good place uh, on there, you open up a lot of doors in terms of where you can take your future capital, whether it's taking an M&A deal from a strategic, taking a bolt-on acquisition by a private equity-backed company, taking on a private equity or growth equity investment from there in a majority stake on there, maybe potential secondaries out there, but like you open up a lot of those deals from there. During the lifestyle brand boom that I mentioned in the last 20, in the last part of the 2010s, valuations were so out of whack that strategics and growth equity and PE firms just stayed away. They stayed on the sidelines. That's why they'll look for maybe picking companies up through pieces for scraps later on when things basically crash. And that's what happened over the last couple of years. Um, and so if you're really looking to value your company and grow it the right way, and again, this is from a VHS perspective, but like that is just so important to really look through how you're looking for that pathway. Um, and I can go into data as in terms of CAC DLTV. And, you know, I look a lot actually less in terms of that and more about a company's AOV multiple. What that means is the average order value as a multiple of lifetime value. And ultimately, what kind of company are you? If your AOV multiple is low, meaning that your average order value is like $100 and your lifetime value is $150, 
your company that's definitely more discovery heavy, more, you know, acquisition heavy on it. Like that person's probably not going to buy much more again, or it might be something they may not buy consistently, like a Casper mattress. It's fine. You're a company that also focuses more on discovery and growing that all end and how you're responding to it. Or if your AOV multiple is high, meaning you're $10 and your lifetime value is 200, right? It's a 20X on that end. So your person's going to buy product at least 19 times more. That's something that's like truly like a necessity product. It's a great company to invest in, obviously, um, on that end. Um, and what is amazing to me about it is that both kinds of companies are successful. It's just ultimately also how you're managing your internal systems, marketing systems, like growth systems, your manufacturing and sales strategies that also match there as well. So that's just the general level, again, from a VHS perspective, but also that growth mindset, I think is also going to help companies just get to the right places where you are really in control of your own destiny three to five years from now. How about, how about you, Anthony? Um, like as you're like advising companies and, and looking to raise, why, what, whatever, I guess you've seen it in your seat, which is very unique in that you've, you know, advised and, um, and work with, um, with many consumer brands on a day-to-day -day basis on the earlier side of things. What have you seen in terms of like the benchmarks that if a brand want to raise a million dollars that they kind of have to have in today's market? Um, I mean, I think I sort of agree with Shamit that a million is on a little bit of that cusp of you're probably raising it from like small, you know, angels, friends and family, small firms. Um, I mean, the good news about those is that they're less looking at metrics than like a professional round, I think. That being said, I think the people who are looking at and, and assuming you are doing your first sort of like institutional round, like, as you said, it's, it's all about profitability and, and capital efficiency. And I think people are looking at the LTV, the CAC ratio, the payback, first order profitable. Again, it depends on the type of business, like Simi said, whether it's a subscription or non-subscription, but, um, you know, are you profitable on your first order or not? Um, what's your like, con your actual contribution margin? I think. EBITDA profitable is is great, but if you're if you're you know an early stage business, you're not likely to be EBITDA profitable. But like, do you have a strong contribution margin? Um, if you're you know your unit economics, your gross margin, your contribution margin is strong, and do you have a path to improve that as you scale um, by you know whether it's launching new products, increasing prices, getting cost reductions, or, you know efficiencies around logistics and supply chain and things like that. Um, that you know the investors that my clients are talking to and like are like to me they're like very laser focused on these um uh these these metrics and i, I don't want to give like a number because it really totally depends on the type of business um so there's not like one specific number i think you know i, I could give but those those are the same metrics and if it's a subscription business it's just all about retention and churn like you know, I, I have a sort of a series B level subscription company and, um, you know, that is literally the metric that the board cares about. Subscription, uh, you know, retention, churn, you know, month one, month 12, month 18, like that's m more important than anything. No, that's, um, uh, uh, no, I, I, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, obviously like understanding, have a deep kind of understanding of your metrics, who your customer is, and also, um, like, to Samit's point, um, is this, you know, a product that you would, you know, maybe buy once or is this a product that, or a couple times, or is it a product that you actually have like repeats, they're actually seeing like substantial, like. Uh-oh, I think we, uh, oh, no. Mike got frozen. Oh no. 
our own host got frozen in the middle of it. It's a great photo to be frozen. Um, <laughs> I, as he kind of fixes his situation, I'll take quick charge on here, but um, since I only know we have six minutes left, um, to the rest of the panelists or, or the rest of the attendees in here, please also send other questions you may have on the Q&A side of things. Um, and otherwise, like, we can also kind of just work towards what we're excited about for the future um, as well from our perspectives. But feel free in the next couple of minutes if y'all want to write. Oh, and we officially lost them. Um, but yeah, if you have any other questions also in the Q&A side of things, feel free to write from here as well. Um, we would love to definitely uh see more that you guys may have otherwise we can also then work on wrapping up from here oh got a q a can you describe your perfect dtc business oh man anthony i'm gonna let you take that one first god my perfect DTC business is different than i think they want to know from you because you're the investor um so i mean yeah my perfect business my perfect is one that has um you know, good fundamental unit economics, good repeat purchase behavior, good LTV, like, uh, you know, solid LTV to CAC ratio um, is lean on the OPEX. Like I work with, I have a broad range of, of, of companies, people who have raised $100 million and people who have raised $1 or $2 million. And I like the people who are super bootstrappy and lean and, and founders that, that do a lot with less. Um, but I think they want to hear from you. <laughs> So I agree with everything. Oh, so Mike Gelb apparently lost power. So uh, poor guy. Um, gotta love you some LA issues. Um, my perfect DTC business, which I think is actually a great question for us to finish up on. Um, I echo everything that Anthony is saying in terms of healthiness. But I also, to me, um, ultimately, like as a seed investor, I'm investing in people. And I'm really expecting to invest in founders who are also very evolutionary, meaning that they will grow with their business. They'll consistently keep leaning on their customer and learning. Successful consumer brands, let alone direct consumer brands, are ones that quantitatively and qualitatively understand and analyze their customer's journey. Quantitatively in terms of sales and, 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 and revenue and everything on that end, but qualitatively through ambassadorship. And I think it's really important to recognize that where like a company's LTV might not be significantly high compared to AOV, but if it's also a position where it's like your customers are so loyal admittedly to the space, um, you have an opportunity to like drive the companies and customers forward again through those ambassadors from there. So a founder that really understands that level and is working through there and also really owns their kinds of role and responsibility, whether they're more operating driven and marketing driven and whatnot, it's really important for me. Like that helps really the good DTC business. Besides NPS, CSAT reviews and repeat percentage, what's a metric that describes product satisfaction? I mean, that's most of them. I think the only other one that quick one that came to mind is return rate. So yeah, like sure. you know, your your return rate, and again, this is totally going to depend on the product. If you're selling swimwear, you're going to have a lot higher return rate than if you're selling pots and pans. So there's not like one return rate number, but a low return rate is by definition generally going to mean product satisfaction. But yeah, NPS, CSAT, reviews, repeat percent, LTV, which I guess is captured in repeat percent. Um, 
yeah i think yeah. That, that's that's i mean i mentioned about cash conversion cycles earlier and that's about day sales outstanding and days inventory outstanding in there like i'd love to understand how your inventory actually turns from there too so inventory turns ultimately from that but also in collaboration with the cash conversion cycle so that's on for me um churn we talked about that returns also, if you're a subscription business, if you have a subscription to there, I really want to understand monthly subscription rates and rankings from here. You know, I really would love to understand like what's actually working across from that. Um, again, as an investor and as probably a founder as well. Um, but that's how I would look through. Um, okay. So I know we're literally right at the last minute here. Um, and so Anthony, I'll just pass over to you uh, and we'll sign off for Mike. Oh, wait, I think we got Mike back. All right. In time. Um... Yeah, look, my my closing thought is just that debt, while you know the markets were tough for the last couple months, I do think they are opening up a little bit, and I think there are a lot of options out there still. Some of them went away that that previously existed, but there are a lot of people out there. You just have to sort of find them, talk to your um, you know other founder friends and people in the community, and talk to them. Have your sort of unit economics and know your numbers and and be buttoned up and um you know uh it, it's out there um if you, if you need it and just go at the right time don't wait until the last minute um to to, to go out and try and raise debt yeah i agree with you i um, do a lot you're saying there too oh anthony or mike will pass it over to you too samin anthony this is so much fun thank you both so much for your time i i certainly learned quite a bit from from both of you and i hope others did as well absolutely mike um thank you so much for pulling this together and it's a very optimistic future. And, you know, to the founders who are listening through this, it's going to be a good year. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the webinar. I hope it was helpful for you as you're, as you're growing your brand. If you enjoyed this and you want to hear again or replay the parts you missed, you can find recasts of our webinars on our website at manufacturer.com or on our YouTube channel. Be sure to like and subscribe and get alerts whenever there's new content available. Thanks for listening.